0: Another episode of Money for Nothing, the podcast about music and capitalism. I'm Saxon Baird with Sam Backer, as always. And to today's episode, we're getting heady. It's one of those. Uh, it's one of those episodes Sam and I like to do to keep our own sanity. And uh, today, we are wading into the warm waters of ambient music functionality versus active listening. Ambient music as a source of relief and escape from the toils of contemporary society versus potential outside of a capitalist context. The difference between being explicitly functional in the stream of Eno's music for airports versus the artistic intentions of John Cage and much, much more. So please light some Palo Santo, pull up your favorite pillow. We're diving in.
1: So, um, or, Sam, or, t- or, or. If you're doing this to hear our kind of warm voices as you do the dishes, that's also a valid employment of kind of the ambient ethos right one ambient ethos our and... podcast ambient music that's oh interesting that's the yeah. question yeah not
0: for you because you listen to podcasts on like times two speed or something like that which is insane. no no no
1: i've, I've <laughs> stopped doing that because I, I realized it was making me crazy yeah like it, it was too much it was too much and i was like i actually no it was like a it was like a good thing that i stopped it was a good thing that i stopped because like That was a moment where I was just trying to like mainline news and I realized the very act of like trying to plug my brain directly like into the fire hose of what was happening was actually like I wasn't, I was learning more, I guess, but at a certain point I'm like, I don't want to know this anymore and I don't want to know it faster. Yeah,
0: that's. I always, you know, not to to my own horn, but you know, I always did find it a little insane. <laughs> <laughs> Although, ironically, I don't edit that one, way.
1: But <laughs> there's one podcast uh, I listen to, the New Books Network, and yeah. that I listen to on 1.5, just 1.7, because like, look, those authors, they talk so slowly. Oh, when you sp- about Oh, yeah. When you when you sp- work,
0: uh, I, we have had a couple of interviews on this show where. Um, i've edited it at like 1.5 or like 1.3 and it sounds completely normal to me <laughs> yeah yeah i love that when slow talkers sped up it actually it. sounds normal <laughs> i think this episode has maybe been on our list for a while because i mean i don't want to say like ambient, ether. yeah and amb- i wouldn't say ambient music is back i think it's like been back for like Probably like I think the last I'd say like seven eight years it's kind of been ramping up and now it's like it's really kind
1: of everywhere <laughs> with the with the, the second of mood, Trump walked mood playlist. walked down that escalator people were like I need those analog synths baby
0: yeah yeah I was like working for Red Bull Music Academy when that all went down and like I feel like the the uh, the amount of people talking and producing and listening to ambient music really kind of blew up and it's it kind of hasn't stopped since yeah Um, i think that's true and so but it has this like kind of long winding history and specifically i feel like contemporary ambient music is coming out of at least for this episode we'll pretty much kind of keep it to these kind of two streams i think of that um You know, because ambient music really encapsulates like an extremely like broad range of sounds now, I think it's a huge kind of umbrella term. But really what we're diving into, I think, is this sort of dichotomy in ambient music that I think foundationally can be traced to the difference between the sort of conceptual artistic intentions of like John Cage versus the sort of explicit functionality of ambient music as it's probably most famously illustrated by Brian Eno's Music for Airports.
1: Yeah, and I think that for the, the sake of this discussion, I mean, there is this funny thing, and we we will get to this, um, that what, you know, there's this, like, it's like the, what's pornography rule, right? Like, I know it when I see it. What's ambient music? Like, a lot of people and acts who I think maybe wouldn't necessarily be have considered themselves ambient music but have ambient aspects like flit around the outsides of this story whether that's like the continued reevaluation and love for shoegaze music and kind of hazy guitars throughout originally kind of indie rock and now increasingly like rap music um whether that's the the um i mean a huge thing that we're not really going to talk about today is we're kind of um we're accepting the ambient versus new age distinction. Um, And while those two kinds of music can overlap in in a variety of ways and do get overlapped in the kind of Spotify playlistification of all things that they do. They do, I think have distinct tendencies. Um, And quite frankly, like new age thought music culture is like its own can of worms that just we're not getting into in this episode but but very much know that it's in some ways i think a parallel track that's running alongside a lot of what we are going to be discussing
0: i I like when you say like i know when i see it because it it is kind of like everywhere now and 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 like you know you mentioned spotify and obviously there's a lot of discussion that we've been seeing a lot lately about ai generated created music playlists that revolve around moods Mm -hmm. right and like i think there's a history to that to get to that like mood playlist <laughs> and and i think that you know there's a real functionality that people are like i think actively like using these i mean i think people listen to those mood playlists maybe i'm wrong but or you know but um there is a certain like active people are actively like utilizing that to like i don't know, do homework or like when they're at work or like to like just chill out quote unquote which will also touch on organize you know.
1: their mental health yeah um, all that stuff yeah and, and i do think i think that while of course there's like other strands into this idea of a functional musical music music for a purpose. Um, there's like music played in factories. There's I don't know if you've ever been in one of those weird downtowns where they're like they pipe in classical music to like keep away the riffraff. It's very weird. Um, they're like this part of the downtown, no one, <laughs> no one's gonna come into at night because we're just playing Bach and it's weird. It's a weird vibe that's function, you know, Muzak, but also I think another really important strand of this comes out of this, like, kind of like you're saying, this windy road out of quite experimental tradition in, in many respects, um, that gets, I think, I think that is an important feeder, at least artistically, to a lot of the folks making um, an important feeder in, into this kind of playlist moment to a certain extent certainly into folks making music that then gets put on those playlists so we thought it was worth kind of tracing that trajectory back right
0: yeah and i think it's an interesting distinction because i I don't think it's discussed enough this sort of these two streams that are obviously also streams that are kind of blending into each other at times but the sort of more active you know deep listening ambient works that are very conceptual in nature versus this more functional background furniture music as Eric Sait put it in the early 1900s you know and like those things are like it's actually an interesting distinction to make that oftentimes I think doesn't get discussed enough or doesn't get discussed rather and I I,
1: like I think it's kind of a cool place to sort of start this discussion sure so let's start let's start with John Cage and and so this history like hell yeah (laughs) this history I mean I think that um a lot of this history is based on Michael Nyman's book, Experimental Music. And um kind of thinking through it, I, I realized that I'm sure that there are more revisionist histories that probably incu- include include the, the um the uh uh achievements of like a variety of different players. Uh like this is a pretty white dude dominated history and just thinking about certainly the influence of, and I think, um, in this account, probably like the undigested influence of something like Japanese Fluxus is floating around there. But maybe like so very much, please, folks who know more about this, <laughs> shoot us an email. I'm, I'm happy to do a, <laughs> a tack on episode where we uh, a feminist history of ambient music. Um, so, yeah, that's just a disclaimer at the top. But anyway, in almost any account, I think that John Cage is going to be a pretty central Figure, um, one of the like primary experimental music uh movers and shakers, uh, in a lifelong partnership with Merce Cunningham, which is maybe the most power artistic power couple of all time. Like, oh, we're just gonna revolutionize music and dance. <laughs> like, literally, I pick a couple that's more influential <laughs> than, than, than like those two. Wild. So John Cage uh, kind of comes out of uh, within kind of the, the the European art music tradition, um, is trying to push the boundaries of the kind of exploration of non-expressive musical practice that's being developed um, in serialism, right? So you've got folks basically the avant-garde modernist tinge where they're going further and further and further into atonality, and further and further and further into like music as mathematics, which kind of like peaks with um, serialism and um, like 12 tone music, like stuff like Schoenberg or Webern. And so what you get with Cage is kind of taking some of those tendencies to try to move past Europe, move past melody. Um, but, Cage takes it in a really different direction, I think. Um, He's influenced by stuff like Eric Satie, as you're saying, this idea of music that could exist as furniture, kind of in the background. He's also profoundly influenced by his experiences with, um, I think, the ideas and thoughts of Zen Buddhism, which I think is kind of filtered through his mycological practice. He's actually this incredibly, like, well-respected mushroom expert to the point where that went that, apparently when he died, um like the mycological times like the mushroom magazine was like you might not know that our john cage was also well known as a musician <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, i love these these random like geniuses who always have this like sort of strange uh hobby on the side like like nabokov was actually like like a, a, a extremely yeah like a literary, like butterflies basically and like extremely important actually in that era like discovered like all these new
1: species yeah so so strange so basically cage um he does kind of like steps through this process right of uh, his prepared piano pieces where uh musicians are playing kind of written out music but they've put stuff into the piano strings so that the sounds the keys they're pressing don't make the sounds they're used to making and basically um, tries to find a variety of ways to, to do to do a number of different things. One, which is a kind of a, a fascinating artistic practice in its own right, is kind of a theory about the relationship between ego and art and how certain kinds of creativity can be opened up by eliminating the ego of the composer and trying to like get yourself out of the way of making art or music or, or whatever um and another is in kind of that decentra decentering of like the composer as the person who controls the thing or the performer as the person who controls the thing kind of breaks down the idea of the unity of a piece of artwork increasingly in his music so you have music where the piece is different every night because there's a chance component um you have a piece where kind of famously his um Oh shoot, what is it it? Is it 428? 433. Okay. Famously, 433, his silent piece, where kind of the point of that piece. 433, his silent piece, where the, the point of that piece is. That piece is all the sounds that you hear when the piece is happening. Yeah, I know. Pe-
0: pe- yeah, people tend to like, I mean, people tend to like kind of poke at it poke a little fun out of it at it but it's actually conceptually like pretty pretty cool in the sense that you know oh it's a silent piece doesn't make any sense but it's actually if i understand it correctly it's about how like there actually can be no silence and it like is is about the sort of aleatoric aspect of wherever the piece is being performed so that's just an example like if it's in like a concert hall the creaking of the chairs the like you know, the clearing of the throats, the, like, hum of the lights, whatever.
1: Yeah, that that's all, and that there's a, like, a a brutalizing abstraction when you say, like, oh, actually, the hum of the lights doesn't matter. That's not, that's a noise that doesn't happen, or that's a noise that isn't important, whereas these French horns are the thing that's important, and John Cage is like, no, 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 we're humans, and all of this is happening, and trying to choose some sounds that are important and some sounds that are not important, kind of cuts you off from the world and and so you know there's another uh there's another story in his book um one of his books where uh i think christian wolf is playing like a set of piano pieces uh, with the window open in kind of like a soiree in a like a fancy manhattan apartment and there's like traffic noise coming through and that one of the guests afterwards said well, that was so beautiful i mean I-, I wish someone would have closed the window and john cage is like that would have ruined the piece.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, sort of, like, high concept, really, like, thinking through the sound. Like, I'm not going to say music, but, like, you know, thinking through the compositions. There's a real, like, emphasis on, I guess, what you would call, like, active listening, like, really kind of, like, paying attention to, like you said, like, the hum. You're saying, like, oh, the hum of the lights, like, don't matter. It's these French horns. But actually, like, deconstructing that hierarchy of sound And be like, no, what if? No, let's pay attention to everything
1: we hear. Really fascinating. Yeah, and so really, this opens up a whole new host of. It blurs the line between music and sound, and opens up a whole new host of experiences as potential zones of like humanistic interaction. Because I think that while John Cage is like, it's all especially the kind of the early revolutionary moment at least in a musical sense like revolutionary moment is like oh it's all good sounds like people later are like oh well actually you can like some sounds better than other sounds or you can make situations that make particularly cool sounds it's not that you can't control that environment it's that you want to really be listening to it so this goes in all different kinds of directions um uh, you get the idea of soundscapes, sound walks, where like people paying attention to like the lived environment that they have in cities. Um, you have kind of increasingly noisy work um, again coming out of things like like flexus, especially Japanese flexus. I saw one piece performed once um, where basically it just you take a microphone and you crumple a ball of paper around the microphone, like you just smoosh paper around it, and it slowly like uncrinkles. And if you turn up the mic and it's this, like, insane soundscape within this tiny little sound. And it makes you realize just, like, Whoa. you know, it's kind of trippy, right? Like, how beautiful all these little tiny areas of our
0: world are. And, like, I think you could also even say, you can take it to the extreme. Since, you mentioned, since you're mentioning uh, Japanese flexes, so I have to mention, like, Danger Music uh, and the likes of, like, Hannah Tarash, who uh, one time... Uh, for a, a performance you drove a bulldozer through a through a venue and that was a performance um and using like power tools and like you know all this stuff so you, it kind of goes off in all these different directions you know it's like not just the city sounds but also could be like the sort of a harsher dangerous uh revolting sounds of like modern life or like the kind of as as
1: as we hear as we hear sirens in the background right now <laughs> or, or you get a, a series of of kind of parallel strands thinking about really deep listening really deeply where um, you get, like, the deep listening of Pauline Oliveros, who... Yeah, Pauline Oliveros, right, Fair like, uh, point, yeah. In slightly later period, is, is thinking about long drones and the idea of the environment and the relationship between, like, human breath and drones and environmental sounds and recording in relationship to the environment. You get, like, pure drone, like Lamont Young, where you get these, like, overpowering walls of sound. You get kind of the mantra-like stuff of Terry Riley. There's a a variety of of, of different approaches, all of which are either in conversation, I think, or or influenced directly by John Cage, and all of which is really focused on this idea of destabilizing the line between traditional conceptualizations of music and ideas of sound, and about the line of um, compositional intent right like what the performer or the composer means to do and what's being created by the audience by their act of listening and by by the process that they have and the the way that 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 the experience of the piece is co-created by the listener and the by the listener and the performer right like in that in 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 the john cage silent piece right every seat in the house is gonna have a slightly different version of that piece if only because like the person next to you is chewing or they're not
0: yeah Yeah. Yeah. And I think for the sake of what we're about to sort of uh, compare it to or contrast it to like a different kind of stream that I was mentioning earlier, like this, this stream of of styles of ambient music is all kind of about that, that like you're saying, that sort of that alertness, that sort of like auditory consciousness of like paying attention, Mm -hmm. like actively.
1: Yeah. And and the way that that can actively like that, the, the way that paying attention actively can transform the world. Or at least your experience of yeah. the world. It's like a little solipsistic, but right. it's like you can make the world a different place by deciding that the sirens are beautiful rather than being annoying. Right. right. And and also just just like a historical note, probably like proto ambient. I mean, this doesn't tend to get tagged as ambient, but I think that I think it probably is at some level. Like, I think it's very much part of the conversation, and maybe that's part of the historical argument that we're making here. Oh,
0: that's an interesting, yeah, that's an interesting point, yeah, because cause I think what
1: we're going to contrast
0: it to is, is this sort of, I guess, what you would maybe then consider, like, kind of more
1: firmly within the realm of the ambient genre? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that that, that while I think there's some historical debate about the actual usage of the term, the kind of generalized conception of where ambient music comes from is tied to English experimental, slash musician slash glam star, slash world conquering producer Brian Eno. Right, and the kind of like the legend, which is you know it's a good legend, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go with it. Though I imagine there's like oh, anything
0: the, the apocryphal story that's likely true.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also like like anything I there are I mean, here's the thing. If you've got Pauline Oliveros out there doing stuff, like you did, no one invented Ambient, but Brian Eno was one of the first people to call it Ambient, and certainly one of the first people, I think if not the first person to put it on a record that sold a lot of copies. So in terms of, of tracing it as a category within the broader world, I think that by Hooker by Croak he deserves our attention. So kind of the story is is that Eno was unwell, and I've read different accounts. He was recovering from a car crash. He had the flu. He was not doing great, and a friend of his came over and brought a, uh, a vinyl, like a record of, I guess, like 17th century harp music. Again, the exact, it's it's early music. It's harp. It's pretty. It's melodic. The exact record changes (laughs) throughout the internet as I tried to trace down down this legend. Here's your chicken soup and here's your 17th century harp music. Just the two things I needed to get well. Yeah, I mean, look, here's the thing. It's this funny thing of like a a thing that we don't experience anymore because of musical accessibility is the kind of friendship networks that were like mid 20th century mid-20th century high modernist friendship networks that were built around people spending time hanging out together and listening to recorded music because literally like if you didn't have this copy of the non-such 17th century French harp music you couldn't hear it so like I had to go to your house to listen to the record and I couldn't like listen to it by myself I was because it's at your house and I wasn't really gonna let you borrow it and you weren't gonna (laughs) let me borrow it because it's rare (laughs) <laughs> yeah no it's it's um like uh,
0: uh and there's no spotify link to send it to or even youtube link or anything yeah <laughs> i'm blanking on his name
1: right now but it's it, there's a, a great in 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 um i think it's in please kill me is is uh one of the voidoids guitarists had all the charlie parker records before they were re- reissued and so other people would like borrow them from him and, like, if you were friends with the right people, you could hear Charlie Parker records. And if not, you could only get, like, the Charlie Parker best of on Riverside. But, like, not the deeper cuts or the live cuts. Right? It's a whole... It's a totally different. So, actually, I think that, like, here's your chicken soup. How underappreciated your... our world is now when it comes to accessing, like, all kinds of art or music. Which we're going we're gonna to keep talking about. So, anyway, there's Mr. Eno. He's lying in bed. His friend delivers the whatever the british version of chicken soup is like thin gruel with peas or something i don't know meat pie (laughs) yeah like a light meat pasty and with the music and leaves it on for him but makes a mistake and it's a rainy gross british day makes a mistake leaves it on really really low because like the amplifier is turned all the way down by accident And so Brian Enos, lying there in bed, trying to listen to this music, able to pick out parts of it, but not all of it, against, like, the beating rain. And I think, uh, you know, initially he's frustrated, and then over time he's, like, totally enchanted by this experience, and realizes that there's this music at, like, the, the periphery of consciousness has something to it. And then you know a couple you know he's interested in various kinds of, of experimental experiments with sound and um and because he's related to Roxy Music has a, a fair bit of kind of like major label support for his experiments. Um, Roxy Music being like a weird experiment that somehow sells a lot of records has the wherewithal to start making records and 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 making albums. And one of the things he does is uh, realizes that he's in he's in one of, I believe, the British airports and was like, this could sound nicer. And there's a way to kind of ameliorate the, I imagine to be like the kind of the harsh clanging people walking around. And so he writes this piece, this famous piece called Music for Air, Ambient One, it's, it's a piece called Music for Airports. And it's released, the title of the album is Ambient One, colon, Music for Airports. And it's this kind of gentle, chiming, repeating piece it's melodic, which is interesting um, in a way that like John Cage is not melodic, um, frankly, in the way that like 17th century harp music is melodic. It's very melodic. It's very quiet. It's very sparse. You can pay attention to it and you can not, or you could not, but it kind of creates a, a mood, a hashtag vibe, if you will. And people really like it. Um, people like it. I mean, I actually don't know if initially like, it's, it's actually put into airports or anywhere put into airports, oh, but that's a great people question, yeah. really, really like it. And, 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 and from there, it takes off as this idea of the idea of kind of designing music to shape and organize situations, music that allows listeners to kind of pay attention if they want, withdraw if they want, Probably, probably not have their full attention over it, right? Like, but kind of be in and out. And it's really interesting if you think about it. It's clearly related to the John, to the John Cage of it all. (laughs) Um, It's clearly drawn from this broader experimental tradition where thinking about how you're listening is important. But where Cage is at some level saying like, you can transform the world by kind of transforming your perspective on the world, which at one level is this kind of like revolutionary rejection of the way the world is. Though you could also argue that it's kind of a solipsistic rejection or like a mystical rejection of it, right? I'm gonna reject by, uh, I'm gonna, um, reject the world by kind of like escaping into my own experience and whether that's like the basis for fixing the world is a pretty open one versus yeah like a more like you were saying before like a functionless idea like we can make this airport better yeah it's explicitly functional
0: in the title music for airports (laughs) yeah and like you were kind of mentioning in the in the lead up to this and you can speak more on it you you feel it has this sort of like Last breath of like this modernist vision of like a, you know this love of, of of a better future that like technology and 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 arts together can like bring about or something. Yeah,
1: I think I think it's in there. I mean, to my mind, it's like it's cut from a similar cloth and cut at a similar time to like Kraftwerk's Autobahn, right? Which is this like love song to the German highway this idea that and it's important like this is still a a trend in the 70s thinking about the potential for a post-scarcity industrial economy right this is in some ways like maybe not the high water markets already starting to fracture in certain senses but like the post-world war ii anti-political consensus this like technocratic vision that the problems of the future can be managed away. And that and I think that that in this early ambient music, there's like, at least in music for airports, there's a kind of assumption that like art is part of that. That a better designed life would allow you to give you the space to have a more pleasant experience within these kind of modernist structures. And I, I do think it's important to like here, uh, also compare it to, like, the idea of Muzak, right? Yeah, Musak yeah. Muzak is this corporation. They produce kind of uh, altered versions of contemporary popular songs. It's kind of, they make elevator music. And Muzak is very much, my understanding is, like, it's very much focused on mood, right? It's focused on organizing mood. It's focused on controlling mood. It's very much like a, a culture industry thing. It's not, they're not trying to let people feel what they want to feel. They're trying to make people happy so they shop or they work, Um, so that they are like pleasant little drones it's weirder than that because that actually doesn't ever work but like (laughs) music for airports is something different that the the listener even though it's functionally enhancing the space ideally the listener can also has still has choice and freedom of how they want to use that function and how to use that tool
0: they could could go to mcdonald's or they could just sit there and like
1: watch the planes take off (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so um Going from there really kind of quickly uh there's a bunch of again Japanese ambient music which is again kind of in between music and it's kind of its own stream and I don't know the intellectual tendencies.
0: Yeah, but I would say that it's like still sort of like tangentially create like tangentially related in the sense that there is a difference between like muzak or like you know Eno's music for airports but there is this sort of functional aspect to it. You know, while maybe muzak is like trying to get people to like buy more items commodities and you know is like trying to make a more enjoyable experience in an airport there's still like a functionality to it this isn't like necessary this isn't like rooted in conceptual some sort of high affluent conceptual art (laughs) practice it's like actually has like a i don't know i don't say utilitarian but actually has like a functional use to put this music into the world yeah. putting this music into the world has like a functional use and that is like the intention behind the music itself when it comes to like then that's kind of the thread that kind of ties you know and this maybe muzak even though both very different intentions
1: yeah and I, th- I think that's the thread that kind of gets picked up by the next kind of wave of ambient music which we will get to after the break
0: next wave of ambient music, loosely related to some of the concepts we were talking about in regards to like music and Eno, is in
1: the Summer of Love, the second Summer of Love. That's right. Turns out that if, Saxon, you have been up for a day or more dancing to a rave in a field in Southeast England, you got there at 8, you danced till 8 a.m., You drove there it's been crazy all sorts of things are coursing through your system drugs drugs yeah 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 drugs no food drugs um it it turns out that you might not still want to be dancing but you might not be able to go to sleep and in fact it might be useful to have a way to kind of continue that experience chill out rooms chill out rooms baby (laughs) And so so what you get what you get is again and, and and this for this I'm kind of drawing from um Simon Reynolds' fantastic book Energy Flash which is about this era of, of UK dance culture and kind of describes these psychedelic rituals around kind of collective drug use at these raves right everyone's taking for the most part MDMA they have an intense set if MDMA is good they have an intense set of emotional experiences the rolling of rolling for a while and then end in this kind of like exhausted post-cathartic space where it's important to note you still can't go to sleep for another 12 hours (laughs) (laughs) and so what kind of developed was alongside the more major also sometimes people just needed breaks um so it developed alongside the more major kind of like higher tempo higher energy spaces you got these cool down rooms right where whether it's the entire festival goes over the course of you know festival entire rave goes over the course of um Don't use that 12 or 24 hours into a kind of chill out zone or whether there's a specific distinct room that people can go into and kind of lie down you get this new wave of ambient and ambient-influenced electronic music that is intentionally designed for this part of the rave experience and designed, again, to have people kind of be able to go, float in and out of it. And in many ways, I would say in sonic ways, this is a lot more like what we think of as ambient today. I mean, I'm going to, like, point to... Uh, the KLF's the great mighty KLF's uh fantastic album chill out which is not available anywhere but is available on the internet which (laughs) has this kind of uh semi-hallucinatory it's funny like they've got the fake railway journey aesthetic where stations come in and out of hearing there's kind of sound collages there's a lot of really gorgeous pedal steel actually and yeah, this idea, and it sounds a lot more like this kind of like drifty ambient that we're more used to rather than the kind of um, sparse individual pinpoint pinpoint ambient that uh, Brian Eno or um, some of the Japanese composers wrote. Um, it's kind of a bigger wash of sound. And so it does seem, though, right, like in this funny way, we were talking before um, – this episode trying to think of like how this connected and and i think that you made the point like that it's still again this is intentionally functionalist music but it's unlike the kind of modernist tendencies in something like music for airports where what you're trying to do is like work in conjunction with like, a modernist project. Like, a new, exciting airport. And, like, what I always imagined was Dusseldorf. I've never been to Dusseldorf. I don't know what it's like at all. I don't even know if they have an airport. But in my head, I'm just realizing that music for airport is, like, written for a German airport. Um, But the chill-out music, the chill-out ambient techno...
0: (laughs) European airports in general are, like, so much much nicer. Um, (laughs) Anyway, continue. The kind of uh,
1: uh, ambient electronic music is, I think similarly designed for a specific space but designed for a specific space that that is much more it's much more communal um and much less about um an explicit relationship to like the structures of power yeah
0: because it's actually like operating like outside of those structures of power in a sense like semi
1: or like semi i mean it's a gray market back then like people yeah. are making money yeah yeah, but yeah gray yeah. market
0: now obviously it's like fully immersed in, into into that into that system but yeah nonetheless it's like so there's an explicit functionality once again and it's interesting though because in a sense it's a the form of come down is also like a form of chill out or whatever is like a form of escape as well from the intense like big room sound the drug use whatever just like a really a safe space essentially to like go and like relax and gather yourself enough to talk to your friends drive your car home (laughs) yeah 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 exactly but what's so interesting to me is like and to to kind of like steer the show into the sort of like the, the the last third is i think how this all gets sort of packaged and developed into kind of what we started the show At which is like the last i guess let's just say like last like 10 years Mm -hmm. um but you know with the rise of streaming with the rise of like mood playlists with like the rise of just like people's interest in ambient music in general you know like the revival of the careers like laraji and like other types of figures like that you know in new york there was like ambient church that was like there was bringing in uh, new Age musicians from and and artists and, and ambient artists from like you know the the seventies and eighties who are maybe not, you know, who are kind of seeing a revival. So yeah, like it's inter- It's just interesting to me how you've seen this whole revival. Let's say of it, or renewed interest, or new interest in it, but it's kind of. So it's simultaneously kind of wonderful and kind of been extremely commodified into this like weird plastification. And like we can go ahead and kind of like talk about like the various aspects of it. but like how how did it like become the, like, you know, it goes from the things that we we're talking about and now it's like developed into this like, like it, it once again explicitly functional, weaved into the fabric of like your everyday life, but then also very much a part of this like commodified, system of like music streaming industry. Yeah. I
1: mean it it's hard to talk about the rise in interest in ambient or a return of interest in ambient music without kind of Yeah, we don't there's no there's no like yeah, we don't know actually why it is happening. But no, without yeah. also like without kind of gesturing towards just like the garbage fire of contemporary existence, right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and I like, think that's fine. Like more Yeah, no, but also, like, and and very specifically, I mean, it does feel like, you know, you think about 2016, and again, we're playing kind of, like, armchair psychohistorian. Big time here, here, big time, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. But, like, let's say widespread smartphone usage really hits, like, maximum mainstream 2011-2012. People are clearly spent huge amounts of their time online but now they're kind of this like the attention economy has started to slice into like literally non-stop everyone's days all the time we're hitting peak twitter we're hitting peak facebook we haven't yet had the all-encompassing firehose godhead of tiktok but it's on the horizon firehose godhead
0: Um, (laughs) Um, I would even I would even add like outside of just the digital realm I would just add like the rapid de- redevelopment and development of like urban cities which is just made for like basically like a decades worth of like constant construction if you live in any kind of like major urban center which is of course like part of like whatever there's this whole thing about tax credits and everything which we could go into but like you know that that's a huge part of it too I feel like for the last ten years living in New York and then you know, various other urban centers. It's just there's construction going on at all fucking places. Well, maybe it was always the case, but, like, if you look at, like, downtown Brooklyn, there's about 12, 20-plus-story high-rises that went up in, like, the last eight years. So you add that to the sort of, like, uh, endless, like, stream of digital content being thrown into our eyes and ears.
1: <laughs> plus the, the rise of the freelance economy in that same period of time, which means that people... Right. More isolated. Previously working in offices that had sound for better or for worse, right? Sometimes like with music for worse, but like had sound management in mind when they were constructed. A generation of people are working from home, they're working from
0: cafes. These co work yeah, cafes, co working spaces where somebody's on the phone of the meeting and like you're trying to like write an email so you put something in your ear to like listen to music or whatever to drown
1: them out. Like, yeah. Yeah. And so I think and all that just versus like within the politics of everything since 2015, the continued environmental catastrophe, people like I I I don't think we're saying anything revolutionary to say that like people have been stressed. And in the face of that stress, like and in the face of this sense, I think also could kind of circle back to explicitly people's experience with music, in which it's just a non stop wave of bands and artists and producers and DJs and new stuff and new stuff and new stuff and new stuff that there's a sense that people felt like oversaturated and shattered. And that in the face of that, the idea of ambient music potentially offers a lot. And you that,
0: and then that also, I think, I'll just maybe it's obvious to mention, but like, is goes hand in hand with the sort of rise of a sort of new agey culture that is increasingly trying to like either escape or find answers beyond their sort of day-to-day like modern existence. So obviously like yoga, astrology. (laughs) Etc.
1: <laughs> and and so the thing about that, and at one level, I feel like that's it's all of that totally makes sense to me. And there's like no shame and no criticism in people seeking to find pleasant sounds that make them feel calm, that let them to do what ambient music's supposed to do, right? Like a, a, an ameliorative aesthetically enriching presence where you take a soundscape that was spiky or harsh or unorganized and add a gloss that makes it more appealing and there's no and there's no criticism of that i mean like certainly i like ha- wrote a ch- big chunk of my dissertation in a library while listening to ambient music to crowd out like other people's sounds there is something i think what you're saying parts of this are gross and parts of this parts of this are gross and parts of this are depressing and the depressing aspect i think is the move part part of this is like the new technologies right that everyone's listening on headphones and earbuds instead of in speakers and walkmen or you know sorry speakers and boomboxes um, and that you could see this move right from ambient music being in a vast public space an airport to ambient music as intentionally employed by a community for its own purposes, chill-out rooms, to ambient music as an individual act of self-care to kind of fix you up, patch you up, and keep you going in the face of, like, (laughs) contemporary capitalism. And, well, yeah, it can work, but, like, It takes the potential, I think, semi-utopian strands in both of the previous iterations of ambient music, whether this idea that art can make the world a better place, or maybe even all three. John Cage, art can radically transform the world. Brian, you know, art can make the world like a somewhat better place, perhaps. (laughs) Chill out, tense, like... Art can be used in our community for a specific thing that's part of making this community function. To art can allow me to get through my day as like people are being pulverized in various ways.
0: A more like functional and like a more functional subject in like a capitalist society, or like more productive or like whatever. Yeah, that it allows Cause, you. Because I to... mean, because I mean, there's, there's something to be said. There's something to be said about the fact that like making music drugs prescriptive prescription drugs uh accessibility to uh online yoga classes all to help you like get through your day is also an attempt at helping you be a more productive subject in for your you know in society uh for the great for capital (laughs) in service of capital pushing
1: and it's pushing that effort onto you
0: right exactly exactly yeah So that's the depressing, gross part about it. Well, that's the depressing part. The gross part about it is then (laughs)
1: that all of these tendencies are filtered through the modern streaming economy, which means you get what you could call the playlistification of ambient. And and, and I went through some of these various, like, spent some time, like, on the the parts of Spotify that I always ignore, which are, like, (laughs) (laughs) music for this, music for that, dark ambient, chill out, and... Greet the Sun, Music for Meditation, Music for Yoga, um, these playlists, and right, so in them, this idea that ambient music creates a mood, allows people to kind of drift in and out of attention, is also being employed by a major corporation that intentionally wants you to not necessarily pay attention to which artist you're listening to, but to kind of... uh, Place the locus of like uh, the locus of authorship at the level of the playlist and not the artist and not the artist, a playlist that's controlled by Spotify. I mean, in terms of what we've talked about multiple times, the very specific economic situation of Spotify in which they're handcuffed to major labels who are always trying to kind of drain more from them. They can put whatever artists they want to on these playlists, including artists that are not signed to majors, which pushes down the percentage of major streams and increases the leverage that a company like Spotify has against the majors when they negotiate their contracts.
0: Um, And also we could add like artists that are basically not real artists at all and either like paid for by Spotify to work for Spotify and or AI generated now, which is a major possibility and probably already happening.
1: And, and so not only that, but it's also gross in that for all these reasons that they have people come in and out in some ways, it, they have people and sounds come in and out of these playlists, right? They're intentionally like not dominated by single artists. What you lose is the aesthetic aspects of ambient music. Like there's some really gorgeous ambient music that people make and, and, part of the promise of the genre is you don't have to pay attention to it, but that there's like a gestalt that's created Mm. around these sonic structures that you move in and out of. And if you're splitting, which is why like ambient track, like tracks on ambient albums are often like have funny titles and don't mean anything or are very long. And it's like never quite clear. Like why was this one track? Why did the track stop there? Um, Sometimes it is, but often it isn't. And, What you get in these playlists, then, isn't an engagement with an artist's sound world in a way that allows you to pick, as a listener, using it in an agentive way, allows you to pick what vibe of ambient you might like, but also as a... um, as a listener to like really engage with with this artistry instead you get things coming in and out and in some ways precisely because ambient's already starting to do that what you get is this kind of like i would call it almost like it's like a simulacrum of ambient in that you're coming in and out of the music <laughs> wow. but instead of it being coming in and out of a single composition that is a sound world that is a piece of furniture that is like something engaged in with the space instead you're like coming in and out but every time it's something totally different and which means that in fact you don't have any relationship to this music instead you've got this weird relationship to a playlist or a vibe or or, or something um that i would argue maybe limits the possibility for the more substantive limit limits or eliminates entirely the possibility for a more substantive engagement with a sound world and like the beauty of that sound world that's one of the real promises of ambient music because in some funny ways like you can tell great ambient music by its by its failure in that like great ambient music you listen to hard you're not meaning to and sometimes you drift out but then like you're back in it because something beautiful happens and you go like oh that was beautiful and i'm still writing
0: or or, or it just eliminates just like this sort of like you said utopian ish intention of functional intention you know instead of it like being for something to like intentionally make an experience in an airport or wherever better it's just like just made yeah with like lacking that intention yeah you know to get higher stream rates or to make spotify money or for no real intention just because you can i don't know but like yeah yeah it, like el- when the point being is that it kind of eliminates that sort of effort towards something functional to like actually purposely better your experience or your life or whatever
1: Yeah, I think I think you're right that there is something somewhat utopian in that idea of functionality in that. Like if you think about what most music in human history was, it was functional, right? It was music for. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about this. I love this. this, You know, it was music for hauling in fishing nets. It was music for fish fixing those fishing nets. It was music for hoeing a crop. It was music for rowing. It was it was music for praying, right? If you think about church music, it's like...
0: Yeah, as they say, yeah, like for like, you know, some sort of praise to like a higher being. It was music also for like the chain gang to make the day go by quicker and...
1: yeah, like, Right, and to, yeah. to organize all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's music that was designed for specific places and specific times that like was intimately connected to those places and times. And while it was clearly a profound art, like it wasn't a profound art that was separated from those contexts as much i mean that's not true across history there have always been like what i like to call court musics you know like musics that are tied to structures of wealth and power and become kind of aestheticized traditions of their own right sometimes even to the verge of commoditization though i mean you can at me, I would argue that something different happens in the the late 19th century around musical commoditization and the sense of being able to extract music from its conditions of production um, and radically expand its conditions of consumption. Right. So, so there is something I think about ambient music that kind of brings at its best through the mediation of recordings, which makes it a little bit more complicated because you can listen to music for airports anywhere, um, not just in airports there is some of that sense of like music is meant not to like be this beautiful thing out of the world. Music is meant to be a thing in the world, bumping up against all the other pieces of the world. And that means like, if you don't like, right, like that, that, that it can make the world better, but also like it can't fix the whole world. And that, maybe to make the music better you have to fix parts of the world and so it allows it kind of leads into like a question of political economy a question of structures a questions of hierarchies and and questions of community i think in ways that are really exciting and that I, i feel like not only does the kind of like streaming ambient version the kind of uh uh passive listening version of ambient not not do but in terms of doing more to splinter listening doing more to make it distributing the fruits of artistic income to a broader variety of artists so that none of them can live on it right right <laughs> it, it in fact not only doesn't help the problems or like embrace those 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 like potential um utopian elements but actually like puts them further out of reach and that's gross so
0: so maybe to like wrap up the episode, maybe let's just like kind of take a minute to try to think about alternatives to that. Or and when I say alternatives, it, you know, and now having had this discussion the lot for the last hour, it almost makes me feel like oh, maybe less an alternative and more a return, in a sense to what spaces, what ways can ambient music express that sort of original intention so those those sort of like original original potentials that are like say you know functional intentional critical make a music that is like not about capitalism <laughs> which which is difficult to to really to think about obviously existing within a capitalist context but is there a potential for that and like in what ways could we express that potential
1: yeah, yeah. so i mean i was thinking about this a lot and and i do think that in some ways like as solipsistic as it is like the john cage version might offer some real some real possibilities which is that's like kind of like ambient as a way to connect to the listening environments around you
0: i like this idea of like sound walks i think we gotta get back to those
1: yeah yeah yeah. no it's wild if you've ever done it which is where you just do it every
0: day when i walk around (laughs) no like legitimately like i think i'm like hyper aware to sound sometimes i'm just like What is that low bass humming? Oh, it's this like generator, like four blocks away. (laughs) Like, like
1: I'm really hyper aware of this stuff. And then maybe one of the things about ambient music, the way it works, right, is that there is something about that's different than the Cage tradition. Is there is something about alienation there, right? It's about taking active measures to to change the sonic landscape that you're in, right? That you're there is that like music for airports is not just like everyone listen to the planes. (laughs) It's like we can use, again, in that modernist sense, like we can use human activity to make the world a better place. And maybe some combination of the two, right? Like we have on our phones all kinds of amazing, like the mics are really good. And I, I do think I do think that like, when I first got my iPhone, Eventually, like, the wonder fades. But when I first got my iPhone, I was like, oh, wow, I've got a recorder with me all the time. Anytime I hear your cool sound, I can just record it. And, like, there is a version, like, (laughs) this is, like, obviously not gonna happen, but, like, make your own ambient, right? Pick, Pick the ambience of a place that you like, record it, and then listen to it in another place. Listen, like, right, like, Connect with your environment and and do stuff with it. Now, clearly, that's not, like, a mass, like, everyone can't do that or isn't going to do that all the time, but, I mean, like, what's funny is that literally everyone could. I was, for a hot minute, commuting from Baltimore to D.C., and if you... Pull into DC's Union Station on the mark, there's this generator that makes this extraordinary white noise, overtone filled whoosh. And it's killer. Like, it's a great piece of ambient music. And, like, there are who knows how many thousands of busy commuters moving through that space. They all have enough equipment in their pockets to make a 60-minute ambient album. Even if it's just, like, you record <laughs> it for a minute and loop it. Look, I know that's silly, yeah, but, like, yeah. I do think well, that there's some, like, in a more realistic sense, like, I do think there's some possibilities for the technologies we have, especially if we're thinking about the ways that it, it um, the, those technologies shape our lives. That there's some real possibilities for the technologies we have to enrich rather than just constantly streamline our lives right like all the yeah i mean all the technologies we have are like the fastest way from point a to b the quickest cab the right and it there that doesn't have to be like there's all kinds of fascinating like analytics and image capture and audio capture technology we have all the time and like you could imagine a world where it's like your Uber driver will be here three minutes later, but like we pair you with people who you think you'll we'll have a nice conversation with. Like that's a psych, like, that's a weird example that off the top of my head, but you could imagine like you're going from point A to point B and it's going to pick just a route that's different than the one you took the day before because it's good for you to walk home different ways.
0: I mean, I think also just kind of one thing I was thinking about in when you were talking it was just kind of the way the sort of okay the auditorial aesthetic of our day-to-day lives which what's interesting you're talking about those commuters in baltimore who are probably going through that train station you know five five times a day five times a week and like that sound is like part of their like the like the like the aesthetic their aesthetic existence you know of like their engagement with the world I think and I think the point is like it's more about like that sort of like actively recognizing that and how like if you actively mm-hmm. recognize that and you know, not even record it, not and, even make your own ambient it. music, just actively recognize it, that's sort of like what active listening, deep listening or whatever you actively recognize mm-hmm. that, it can in a way that maybe this is like once again going back to that John Cage thing, but it can maybe just like alter or just sort of like slightly like change your perception on like your day to day existence and like whatever is like you know you're turning over your head at like on a on an everyday on an everyday level um yeah go ahead and, and i do
1: think that that given the fact there's a whole bunch of people out there listening to long wishes already like i feel like in a funny way the popularity of ambient like brings us closer to where the only thing at some levels that differentiates certain ambient music and that generator in Union Station is awareness of it. One hundred percent. Yeah. Like there are people who walk by it. I'm positive there are people who listen to ambient music who walk by it and don't necessarily uh, and don't necessarily think about it as ambient music. But like that, the, sonic gap isn't so big.
0: And I think I think kind of maybe if I could tell me if I'm wrong, but if I'm kind of like hearing you correctly, like if you're relating this back to um actions outside of this capitalism or like <laughs> this attempt at least is like there's no, there's actually what's interesting is that there's nothing functional in service of capitalism to be a little less efficient or like a little bit more hyper aware of like your surrounding environment and the sounds a little and in less that alienated. sense, yeah, in that sense it makes you a little less alienated and actually even like a little like
1: oh maybe anti-capitalist <laughs> I don't know <laughs> like
0: you know, there's this guy
1: I heard like, this guy or just I, a little a little less alienated and so maybe a little bit more plugged into the non-fungible elements of your spaces yeah yeah or like i one time and the way that like this platform and that platform are different and like all kinds of things are different and that's a different logic or
0: it's a sort of like you know it's a it's a a very it's a there's sort of like something liberating about it possibly too in a sense that you know, I, one time I heard this guy. I wish I remembered his name. It was this very small little reading series where he basically had mapped out all of the uh, those um, the scaffolding they put all over New York the, to, like, work on buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, and he... Which creates a sort of... You know, you have to walk through them. You have to walk under them. And he uh, mapped them all out. And then he made an effort that every time he walked anywhere, he would try to go through or under those as much as possible in his walk, which is a completely, like, like, lacks, like, I mean, there's nothing efficient about that. It's completely efficient, inefficient, like, you know, he would tell me that he he was saying he was, he was saying that, that, like, you know, he would, like, show up, like, an hour late for, like, you know, dinner because he had to, like, get through, you know, it makes absolutely almost kind of, like, no sense, really, but... There is something sort of interestingly like liberating about that, and that he saw different parts of the city, and that like he wasn't like tied to like um, he wasn't tied to the time on his watch and like where he needed to be somewhere. All these sort of aspects that kind of are in mm-hmm. service of of, of a capital in a capitalist society, and how we're like uh, conditioned to to function as subjects, even if we're it doesn't have anything to do with work. But um, yeah, it just it, it's interesting how if kind of taking that logic and then maybe applying it to some of the things that we're talking about. And like, like, let's be real, like I mean, this will not change the world <laughs> in any way, but it but it is interesting to just kind of like maybe try to go back to or like constantly be like critically thinking about ways in which I can engage with quote unquote ambient music that isn't in that isn't dictated by what spotify or any other algorithm or any other service is like serving me and like what potentials like lead after that i don't know but i think there are potentials that that could lead to that are liberating essentially and on that note we'll tie a bow on this episode (laughs) hope you enjoyed our deep
1: bath into ambient (laughs) Deep,
0: deep bath into ambient music please rate and review us follow us on twitter and all the other socials Music by bird language, subscribe to our newsletter, and we'll be back in a couple weeks' time. Thanks for listening.